Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, my listening friends, to the Gospel Grace radio broadcast. You are now tuned in to a weekly radio broadcast that serves the North Mississippi area, proclaiming the Gospel of Grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm Joe Nettles. I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise as well. We pastor Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. Both churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we want to see you come through the door. Visit our website, gospel-of-grace.com. And we thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll make it a happy habit. Today, we're going to continue on with a series of messages regarding the good confession of our Lord Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. The name of the series is A Good Confession. And right after this hymn, we'll be back with today's message. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turning my Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I would like to read, beginning of verse 13. 
I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul was encouraging the preacher Timothy to continue his faithfulness by considering that good profession, that good confession that Jesus Christ gave before Pontius Pilate. And we've been trying here on my time on the Gospel Grace Radio broadcast to look at some of the statements of the Lord Jesus Christ in his exchanges with Pontius Pilate. And to lot, to, today we would like to continue on by uh, examining a passage of scripture from John chapter 19. And in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 10, we read, Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now, Judas Iscariot hath the greater sin because he was under no authority uh, to do the things that he did in betraying the Lord Jesus Christ and turning him over to the authorities. But yet here he's pointing at the civil authority that Pontius Pilate held, that Pontius had responsibility. Pontius had authority over the land. He had right to rule and to govern and to try to maintain peace. But here, very plainly, Jesus Christ is telling him that the only reason you have this authority, the only reason you have this power is because my Father in heaven has suffered thee to have it. We need to understand, my friends, according to this confession of the Lord Jesus Christ to Pontius Pilate, that we can have full confidence in our Lord God because he has power over that which wields the most power in this world. And I'm not talking about Satan, although Satan is the greatest evil power that we know of. Certainly he's supernatural and uh, he is under the dominion and the control of our Lord. But friends, we're talking about civil governments. We're talking about rulers, people who wield uh, great authority, great wealth, and command great armies. They have done wonderful things in this world, but also they've done terrible things in this world. And we need to understand, as here Jesus Christ conveyed to Pontius Pilate, that God is able to exalt and God is able to pull down at his own discretion and judgment. We need to understand, my friends, first and foremost, though, that God is the great king. There is none other great king. There is no other eternal king. And there is none who can uh, countermand him, rightfully so, and there's none that can overcome him. In Psalms 22, verses 28 through 29, I read, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. It doesn't matter how hard governments try, they can never undo what the Lord has determined to be done. Because when all comes down to it, there can only be one boss, and the Lord is that boss. In Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, we read, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Notice what you have there. He said of the Lord that he's our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. 
you know, that's very familiar to me because in the United States of America, the way that our government was established, it was established with an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. Well, there in that verse of scripture, you have all three alluded to, and who is the one who fills them all? Who is the one who is able to perfectly balance and maintain control in the universe? It is the Lord God on high. He said, the Lord is our lawgiver. You see, that's the legislative branch. The Lord is our king. That's the executive office. And it tells us the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial branch. Nothing escapes him, nothing overcomes him, and nothing overwhelms him. Now, realizing this, that God is the almighty king, we also must understand, though, it's, there's nothing wrong with there being the concept of ruling authority here upon this earth. Many people like to think, well, I steer my own ship. Uh, I walk to the beat of my own drummer. But yet, friends, we as mankind are designed to be ruled, uh, first and foremost, by God. And I'm not saying that men should clamor about trying to put other people under their thumbs, but it's just a natural fact of both history, of uh, even just casual observance, that we need direction, we need discipline, and we need uh, guidance in this life. And the concept of ruling authority has been established by God and is right here upon this earth. And we need not despise it. We need not be disgusted at it. Uh, even though we know it's not perfect, uh, it is what God has ordained here upon the earth. In Romans chapter 13, we read, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Again, that's what Jesus Christ told Pontius Pilate. The only reason you wield this power is because my God has given it to you. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That damnation means condemnation. It doesn't automatically mean somebody's going to bust hell wide open, but it does mean it's a condemnable thing to thumb your nose at authority and to rebel against just uh, authority. For rulers, verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. You see, the only thing more wicked than a wicked government is no government and men left to their own devices and anarchy. Oh, my friends, such savagery. If you ever get a chance, go read the book, The Lord of the Flies, and you'll see, uh, my friends, how things uh, dissolve and how they devolve uh, without good, firm direction. Okay? Now, you might read those verses from Romans chapter 13. You say, well, that just means that every ruler that ever rules, God handpicked and put them there. Well, let's look at that statement just a moment. Let's look at that concept. One thing we need to understand is that God can place certain rulers in power for certain reasons as he so deems fit. Certainly, he's the overruling king. He's the only true governor. Uh, and therefore, if one rules over us, he certainly has rulership over them. And he can exercise that rulership by placing exactly who he wants, when he wants them, when he so deems to do. We see examples of this in Scripture. Go to Romans chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Uh, here he is speaking of the sovereign grace of the Lord unto salvation. That it's not of him that willeth. It's not according to man's will. Man just can't will something out of his original nature to be saved. He can't do it. It's not of him that runneth. It's not of a man that worketh. You can't work your way to salvation. But it is of God that showeth mercy. It is of God that has elected a people unto salvation. 
And notice verse 17, he says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Pharaoh, who was the earthly leader over the nation of Egypt in ancient times, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. You may look at Pharaoh and say, oh, he was greatly exalted. But the reason he was exalted was because God placed him in that position so that God would humble him and show his saving, redeeming power before the nation of Israel. You see, Pharaoh was the man for the job. Pharaoh was the one that was of God's design because God also had deemed necessary and had designed that he would humble him and he would defeat him and overcome him to wield and show his great power before Israel that they might have confidence in this sovereign and all-powerful Lord. Notice this in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 6. Speaking of a leader, an ancient Persian king named Cyrus Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. Notice the strength of that, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. There he's speaking about the gates of Babylon itself, that tormentor of the nation of Israel and of Judah. He said, those two-leaved gates are going to be thrown open wide. The gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name and the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I'm the Lord, and there's none else. There's no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I'm the Lord, and there is none else. Just Many, many years before Cyrus was even born here, God inspired the prophet Isaiah to call his very name and to declare that God was going to use him and place him in a position because Cyrus would eventually release the captives of Israel to be able to return back to Judea. Isn't our God powerful? He placed Cyrus there and knew he would place Cyrus there and even called it, (laughs) called his move, called his shot long before Cyrus was even born. Yes, my friends, that's the God we're here to worship today. You can have confidence in him. Now, somebody may say, Brother Joe, we've had a lot of really bad, wicked, nasty rulers. Are you telling me that God has placed them all there, that he handpicked every single one of them, that he handpicked Adolf Hitler, that he handpicked... Benito Mussolini, Pol Pot, uh, or even uh, Joe Biden, that he has placed them directly where they are specifically because he chose it to be. Well, I don't think we can necessarily paint with that broad of a brush, my friends. We see examples in the Word of God uh, where he has done that in times past, and we see that the entity of government is right and holy and just. However, that does not mean that every ruler who has ever come to power was handpicked by God and there was no alternative. Notice the wording in Jeremiah chapter 18. Begin reading in verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. 
Now, that's what's under consideration here. The Lord setting up and the Lord pulling down governments, uh, civil authority, ruling authority here upon this earth. But notice what he follows with. He says, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. When he says here, my friends, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. It doesn't mean that God is a sinner, that God does wickedness. No, it means basically that there are two different avenues that that could have gone. One, the way of righteousness and one, the way of rebellion. And God has determined that if you went the way of rebellion, then I will punish you. And if you go the way of right, then I will do good for you. And when it says I will repent, it just means he chooses one over another. And when it speaks of evil, it means calamity. It means judgment. If you go look that word up and see it in context, it does not mean wickedness. Okay? Again, we go on. Verse 9. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, that means here one's going to be set up. Earlier he said, when I've determined to tear one down, if they repent and do right, I'll turn from that and let them exist. But here he said, if I want to build it and to plant it and I set it up, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Oh, my friends, our God is not only the God of our present reality, of the only reality, he's the God of every alternative reality, so to speak. That's how powerful and all-knowing our Lord is, even though we can't grasp it nor comprehend it. But here, notice, he doesn't say it's going to happen exactly the way that I deem it to happen. You're going to have the exact ruler and the exact king that I determine you have to have. No, he says, to a large extent, your behavior, your obedience, your deportment uh, as a people will determine this. In other words, you can make wise choices or you can make foolish choices. Notice in Jeremiah chapter 22, thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong. Do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if ye do this thing indeed, then shall there enter in by the gates of this house kings, sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Now, if God had absolutely determined those kings that he, by his own word through the prophet, said could rule over the people, but yet he's tearing them down, that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, here God is telling them to a large extent, You'll have righteous rulers and righteous kings if ye do righteously. But if ye turn and do wickedly, the good that I would have done for you, you'll not have. See, this isn't God before the foundation of the world determining absolutely that every ruler has to be the exact ruler that has to be. No. Here, my friends, he is saying, though, that the though the concept of governing authority over men is righteous, men can pollute it and pervert it and can cost themselves a righteous ruler or a righteous king. Friends, do you think God has ordained uh, before the foundation of the world that most of Americans would vote for someone who advocates abortion, uh, who advocate, advocates a sodomites marrying, who advocates every kind of wickedness that we see coming down the pike? Uh, friends, no, God is not that kind of a God. God is a God who does not have pleasure in wickedness. 
But see, we as foolish Americans have become so deluded and rebellious against the word of God that we cast our votes for these wicked base people. Now, I'm telling you, my friends, you can you can pick bad things about every candidate, no matter what party it is. Uh, friends, when it all comes down to governing authority, a man sits there and a man is not God and a man is not perfect. Okay? That's just a, a given fact. True. There's no perfect president. But I'm going to tell you, my friends... There are platforms that these people represent, and we need to study these platforms and choose the representative, the candidate, and vote for that candidate who represents and who advocates the more holy of the platforms, that platform which more coincides and harmonizes with the holy scriptures, the word of God, okay? Because notice the wording in Proverbs sixteen twelve. He said, uh, for the throne is established in righteousness. True, that's the second phrase of that uh, verse. The throne is established by righteousness. Yea and amen. The concept of governing authority uh, is established by righteousness. But now let's read the whole verse. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. For the throne is established by righteousness. You see, God has established all governing authority by righteousness. But friends, that doesn't mean that kings that work abomination, that thing which is so repugnant and so filthy before the eyes of God, that when they do those things that God has determined they had to be done that way. No, friends, that's taking uh, the so-called providence of God way too far. We don't need to take it any further than the word of God takes it. Amen. We need to present the truth of God according to how God presents it in his word. And let us try to maintain that limit. Let us not move the ancient landmarks that have been set for us, so to speak. Well, let's look at the ultimate example of this, that even though God has ordained civil authority, God has ordained ruling authority that is good and is right and is holy among the kingdoms of men, that it is right and it's just, but yet at the same time, those authorities can be hijacked by the foolishness, the foolish choices, and the violent actions of some men. Well, let's look at Israel's first king. Who was the first king? You may say, well, no, Samuel was the first king of Israel. No, my friends, the first king of Israel is the only king of Israel, and that's the Lord God Almighty. That's our Lord Jehovah. You see, he was all the king that Israel needed. He had determined to do them good. He had given them righteous statutes and laws. He had given them wonderful judges, and some of them had gone wickedly, but some of them were very right and powerful, who had led them and guided the people and helped the people in judgment. But yet the people gave heed. They gave in to those baser desires to be more like their neighboring kingdoms. And notice in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to read verse 1, And it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, picking back in verse three, what does it say about his sons? It says, his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, behold, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. You see, Samuel, his sons, they were not kings. They were not. They did not have the ultimate authority. They did not have the rule over the people. Uh, even though they imposed their will over the people, they showed themselves unworthy, yet God was still their king. And they were not going to have any more leeway than God was going to suffer them to have. 
Now they wanted a king, a new king. They wanted a man king, a fleshly, carnal king. They didn't want uh, to be satisfied with the kingship of Jehovah anymore. But the thing displeased Samuel, verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods. So do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. You see, our Lord Jehovah would have continued to have been their king and no better king could they have had. But he suffered their rude manners. He suffered their rude request that they were dissatisfied, that they wanted to be like the nations around them, uh, that they were no longer satisfied to walk by faith under an invisible king, but yet a king who had manifested very visible, real, tangible results. They weren't satisfied anymore. They wanted uh, just a quote-unquote normal king. But see, my friends, here God told him, he said, you go and you suffer them that, but you protest solemnly unto them. You show them these things that they're asking for. My friends, I believe if I would have heard some of the things that uh, Samuel described about how kings were going to trust them, I'd like to think that I would say, you know what? No, I'm satisfied with the present king we have. But yet, as mankind so often does, they did not. They would not recant. They would not relent. They wanted a king and God chose them a king, but he only chose them a king, the type of king that they desired for themselves. You see, my friends, uh, here Jesus Christ told Pontius Pilate, yes, you have power, but you'll not wield any more power than my God has suffered you to have. Now, if he suffered people to have power, friends, we need to pray to the God who's able to hear all prayers and answer all prayers that he can elevate righteous ones and he can tear down wicked ones. And Lord God knows that if we have a God that has so much power, uh, so much providence in this world, friends, why in the world should we worry anything about what man can do to us? Why should we get our nerves torn up about who's the president or who's on the Supreme Court? No, let's pray. Let's vote. Let's do the best we can. Let's exert righteous, loving influence, but let us never uh, go down the path of rebellion and sedition and uh, rabble-rousing, because friends, that's just not who we're supposed to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us profess a good profession before this world, and let us live that good profession just as Jesus Christ did before us. We love you, and until we're able to meet with you again, may the Lord's special blessings be upon you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. 
to find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a primitive radio broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15 just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the mass